leaders, and welcome back to the Secrets of Leadership podcast. I'm Adam Cubbage, and I equip people to lead at the next level. I'm a combat veteran, family man, and a fan of conspiracy theories on TikTok. I'm Tracy Winter, and I coach neurodivergent professionals. I'm a professional dancer, a PhD in human development, and I subsist on rainbows and donuts. We're here to demystify the art and science of leadership. We use the scholar practitioner approach to take you behind the leadership curtain. We'll give you the why, the how, and the what of relevant leadership principles and share personal stories so that you can become an inspiring, memorable, and effective leader. You know, the kind of leader you always wished you had. When we come across something, we'll bring them to meet you too, so you can share in their experience. And we'll probably laugh a bit along the way. All right. Let's get started. Tracy, how was your week? Adam? How was the last three months? The last three months have been really good. How was the last year and a half? Full of change. You need to suck it up. You need to be more resilient. You need to get your head in the game. You're not wrong. And also, (laughs) how would I do that? Yeah. So today we're going to talk to you about resilience and what it is, what it isn't. And it's more than, you know, this whole idea of just suck it up and move on, you know, unprecedented times and hard and, you know, never before seen, but it really is. uh, It has been a lot on everyone. And so, uh, you know, let's, let's open this up and start with what do you think resilience is? What do you think resilience is, Adam? So I jokingly said about sucking it up, right? The old army acronym or the old, not acronym, but term, you know, it's that mental fortitude, that, that toughness and the ability to improvise, adapt and overcome really hard situations. And it is a skill that can be built, but I think like, you know, there's, there's a fatigue limit we have to our resilience. And, you know, early on in the pandemic, I thought I was resilient and here I was really just trying to power through the adversity. So that's, yeah. And how'd that go for you? (laughs) Powering through. Yeah. Not so much. You see, I take a little bit of a different approach to resilience. I agree with your part of your definition, the part where it's the ability to adapt and overcome. I'm with you on that. Um, But my sort of visual around resilience is a flexibility, kind of like a reed will bend in a wind, but not break Mm. um, when the wind suddenly whips up. So it's, it's sort of that like going with what happens, being in it, but then coming back to center or even coming back better than that, if there's a learning. So it's sort of flowing through it as opposed to powering through it. Hmm. Um, This, this, uh, from the research, there's a more innate ability in some people to do this. Um, So you can be born with a higher capacity for it, but anybody can grow that capacity for resilience. So if you don't feel resilient, you don't have to stay that way. Hmm. So I don't know that I disagree with that, but I don't know. I agree with it either. And here's, here's why I say that. Cause I'm not sure that I've met somebody with this innate ability to be resilient. That's fair, but how would you know if you did? Um, good question. Maybe it would be, maybe it would play out in real time. So my thought is I see us say whomever, you know, I'm at a workplace and things are tough 
projects going sideways and I see this person is resilient, maybe in the moment, kind of in vivo, ask them, talk to them and ask them about resilience and say, you know, have you always been like this? Or, you know, is this something you learned? Well, and I say it because I want people to feel like um, they can they can work and get this. So it's not something you either have or you don't have. But at the point where it's being practiced and you're, you're watching it happen, does it really matter whether it's innate or it's practiced and learned? That's a good point. No, I don't think it does. And maybe it's just what their capacity for resilience is in that moment. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay. Yeah. So why, so, why are we even talking about this? Why does it matter? Yeah. So, you know, we joke about it with the unprecedented times. And I think I say doctrinally or, you know, according to the literature, whatever you want to say, the VUCA, right? That's that term is up there with moist and everything else. Yeah. So it uh, it stands for volatile, uncertain, changing and ambiguous. Right. But it really describes this kind of complex you know, never before seen things we've been going through. And if you don't have it, life's going to suck, right? You know, the old joke, life's tough, wear a helmet. Um, (laughs) So, you know, drill sergeant used to tell us, you know, if it's going to suck, it might as well suck for a reason. So you got to, you know, you got to get something out of it. And we've gone, we're going through it. We're still in it. And we haven't had this period of time to recover. So I think of like when you do resistance training, either at home or at a gym or wherever, you need that break that day or two off to allow your muscles to recover. We have not had that. So there's a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress going on right now. And I say it's post-traumatic stress, it's PTS, not PTSD. Because the D is for disorder. And I don't think post-traumatic stress is a disorder. It's a natural human reaction to, you know, this kind of very large stress. What, what do you, why do you think? So that's me, right? That's, mm-hmm. I see it kind of from like the, you know, fighting the big hairy monster and I've got to stay in there, you know, to, to the, to the final fight scene, but for you, right. For the fluid, flexible, you know, reed bending in the wind, which I like, I'm not making fun. I it's Bruce Lee be water, right. I get it. But why does it matter to you? Well, you know, I, I often come from a neurodiversity perspective and neurodivergent people, um, they have to be resilient just to exist in the world because the world is not made for neurodivergent people. It's made for neurotypical people. So there's lots of mini traumas to bounce back from. And it's part of why it's so exhausting to be out in the world. Well, lately, we've all had a bunch of mini traumas. Um, We've all had to change and change requires resilience. Right now, we're living with constant change and ambiguity, the VUCA world, like as you said. Um, So I think it's a really timely topic because um, if you haven't developed resilience, you really probably need to. And we're going to show you how to make that happen. That's right. Because what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) That's true. Well, and, and also, you know, you're more resilient than you might think, because if you've been surviving for the last 18 months, like congratulations, you have already displayed resilience. Maybe you just don't know it yet. Yeah. So, so tell us then how, 
how do you cultivate this thing called resilience? Well, I think before we say how, we should talk about like the why, not oh, just because sorry. the things we talked about, right? But um, what's what's the point? What do we know about this? And research has shown us that resilience training improves people's well-being, their mental health, and their work performance. So there's the business case for for doing this. It's not just to make people feel better. Um, we've, like I said, we've all got those micro traumas from failure, loneliness, rejection. Some of us have more than others. Um, like, as I said, for neurodivergent people, they have to be resilient just to exist in the world. And that's why they're often exhausted. Um, but adversity can trigger the thought patterns that we already have from those micro traumas. It's like the things like thinking traps and having unrealistic beliefs about yourself that don't actually show what you can do or don't actually align with who you are. Um, when those get triggered by any other kind of aligned trauma, um, we flip really quickly from our parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system to the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight, flight, or freeze area. Mm. So like any of our fears from our past experience are going to activate this. And when that happens, we close down to additional information. We are not letting in possibility. We are just letting in as much information as we have to, to survive at that point. Uh, That's okay. not going to be, you know, helpful in terms of solving problems and, and um, coming up with new solutions. And the more this happens, the harder it is to change because the more a thing happens or the more practiced or the more it's a habit, the neural pathways get more and more ingrained. And so your brain is making it really easy for it to go right down that path. As soon as anything challenging happens, going down this fear path and, and, and having anxiety and not being able to handle it. That's sort of the natural thing that's going to happen unless you take some different action for it. Yeah. The, the neurons that fire together, wire together. Yeah, True. I completely agree. And it's, you know, it's the, the default setting, right? What's your default behavior? Uh, your habits are going to, going to be what make or break you. And it's one of those things I think for resilience, we don't spend enough time training the brain to handle stress. And so it's interesting. I like how you pointed out, you know, there's, it's the, the neuro pathway and how these are habits and we can change our habits. I don't like when people say, Oh, I want to break this habit. Cause my thought is you, you can't break habits. You have to replace a habit. You can change a habit, but you know, for me, it's always been foolish to think, Oh, I'm just going to break this habit. So, and I think in thinking that that helps us prepare for these moments, right. And it's not enough to reflect on it afterwards, although that's important, right. Or try to figure it out and apply some strategies in the moment of crisis, right. We have to work on it. We've got to heal the micro traumas. I like how you said that and, you know, prepare, think about the next one. You know, we used to, the, the joke, I like to train in the rain and a lot of pain. Uh, and we would do it in our worst Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, uh, which I will spare you from, but that training, you know, that level of misery and discomfort made it easier the next time around. So even thinking through, you know, doing the thought exercise of, okay, how will I respond in this kind of stressful event helps, helps build that resilience. I don't disagree with that. 
I do disagree with the train in the rain and a lot of pain. That sounds like a mm. terrible idea to me because that's putting your brain back under stress. Like that's not the way that you're going to create new habits. I believe. Uh, I think there are ways to train the brain that don't have to be painful. Would that be like standing in the rain with a video recorder, taking pictures of lightning? No, I was thinking something maybe more a little aligned with mindfulness type okay. techniques. Oh, I guarantee you'd be mindful that damn lightning bolt hits you right in the head. Well, I was just thinking, have you actually tried this out standing out in the rain? No, but I do watch it. Like I said, I watch a lot of conspiracy videos on TikTok. So just putting it out there, flat earth, lightning striking. I was going to say, I don't really want to know the connection (laughs) between those concepts. Okay, back on track. Um, So when you have... Um, when, when you're working with resilience, the key to it, according to Martin Seligman, who is sort of the positive psychology guy, um, is being able to change your perspective. You need to be able to look objectively at a situation and evaluate it. Um, and that's why it, it is helpful to be reflective and, and journal or write through these things so that you can be prepared for the next time. Is there a model? Like, is there, so I need like, break it down for me, Barney style. Like I need the, the acronym. <laughs> That helps me understand what, how to do this. Yes. So Albert Ellis has his ABCD model that, that Martin Seligman really likes. Love um, it. And he uses in his training. So A is for adversity. B is for your beliefs about adversity. C is for consequences. And D is for un- dispelling unrealistic beliefs about adversity. So the adversity part, what is the adverse event? When you, when you're describing this, when you are, you know, doing your journal or, or doing your, whatever your reflective practice is, you want to stay fact-based in this stage. Just, like, just the facts, man. Very dragnet. That's it. What happened? Right. Like, yep. don't. so for me, it was always don't put emotion around it. Just, you know, very matter of factly try and describe it. This happened. Then this happened. Right. Um, and then you start incorporating B, which is your beliefs about adversity. So when you were in that moment, what were your thoughts? What were your feelings? What was going on in your mind um, about what was happening? And also what are what's happening now as you as you pull it up? So that's that's the next piece you do. That's why we separate those two. Hmm. Um, and then you're going to look at the consequences, the emotional consequences, what emotions were generated as a result of that event, because your whatever your emotions are, they're going to affect your actions especially if you're in a fight or flight, you react, you don't get to respond. So what are those emotions that are driving your action there? And then once we've got that, you go to D, which is dispelling, dispelling unrealistic beliefs about adversity. So here's where we really break it down and look at what those beliefs are and think about things like, is that belief actually still meaningful? Is it still useful? Is it serving me? Is it accurate in the situation? Is it rigid? Am I using never and always, you know, in my language? Um, am I? Yeah. So those those absolute um, at that absolute language is really a marker of you're probably stuck in a tough belief. Hmm. So that's that's the model that's, that you go through. OK, I like it. Yeah. So my thoughts, right. How when I would think, how do I develop it? because of my Spartan nature, what I would tend to do sometimes is assess the adverse event in the moment. And, you know, going through that, it's like, what are my beliefs about adversity? It's well, you know, it's whiskey, tango, foxtrot, right? That's um, sometimes helpful. Sometimes not, you know, we're 
some people don't respond well to, you know, me asking just a simple question like that, but it's that sometimes we're not phased by the stress. Sometimes we are right. And so either way, I think separating yourself from the moment, from the event and doing it afterwards and focusing on that. And we, you know, sometimes forget what led up to that moment. What was the triggering event? Right. And then part of those beliefs about adversity, right. Or, or the traumatic event, you know, the, there's an old Japanese proverb about, you know, for the samurai, never speak ill of yourself because the warrior inside does not know the difference. Right. And so when we try and break these downs and say, what's going on with this, you know, what are these beliefs, you know, Oh, I'm, you know, I always fail. I'm so stupid. I, I've had a, and it, this has been hard for me to cut out that negative self-talk that, you know, and really just kind of take a, like I said, matter of fact, look at what really happened. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of power behind, not necessarily what's true that matters. It's what you believe about it, what you think the truth is about that event, right? If you hit the ball out of the park and you're like, Oh, I was just kind of lucky or you missed the play and you made all the ones leading up to that. And you're like, oh, I suck. I never get this right. That's going to override the actual, you know, the truth. So, uh, you know, I, I think about an example from when I was fired early on from one of my clients, right? So five, six years ago, had a client call me up and cuss me up one side and down the other. And it was like, you're fired, you know, we're done. And I, I was, I mean, flabbergasted because for me, it felt like it came out of nowhere. And that really, I think, shook me for probably nine months to a year that I just felt wow. less than unworthy. Right. And when I sat back and started going through and, and doing, you know, doing the ABCD model, had to look and really do, okay, where did I fail? Right. What, what did I not live up to? What did I say I was going to do and didn't do? And then I started looking at some of the, you know, the antecedents and the, the post things. And it was like, Oh, okay. There were other events that I just didn't consider. Like this person had changed what they wanted to do three times in the middle of, you know, we went from, she was looking for uh, to, to get out of the lease she was in, which I came to find out later within the period of one year working, whether she was evicted from three places as a tenant. She wanted me to help her not only build the business in a store, but then she shifted to an online business. And then when we got that, she shifted back to wanting a storefront, but in the most expensive part of the downtown. And she went from wanting to do specialty items, you know, wedding cakes, birthday cakes, whatever, to everyday treats. And I was constantly in flux. Again, not all her fault, but not all my fault. Right. And I had to own what was mine and say, okay, you know, is it that I'm absolutely terrible at everything I do? Or was this, you know, was it in this instance because of these conditions? I didn't, you know, achieve the best results. And once I was able to kind of put my arms around that, that helped me build that 
resilience. What I'm hearing in that is actually something I was just talking with my, um, I train ADHD coaches and I was just talking with them the other night about beliefs and what to do, old beliefs and what to do with them. And what I heard from you is you're telling a different story. So that's, that's another step you can add, or that can be part of your part D is, so this is what happened. This is how I feel about it. Interesting. What's another way to explain these circumstances? What's another way to explain these events? And this, this helped me at one point. Um, I had a very sort of overwhelming experience. I really got triggered. Ooh, tell, um, tell, tell. <laughs> okay. This will be fun. Um, so I put a comment on LinkedIn. Um, it was, it was, somebody had shared my buddy's um, post and I thought I was commenting on the original post, but that's neither here nor there. I was commenting on her post. So she responded to me and I thought that we were having a discussion about, you know, sort of some things around the post that was interesting and, and um, you know, inspiring. And I went to a meeting and I came back to LinkedIn to find that I had been deleted and posts removed and had a like two page you know, letter from her in my email box about how I'm passive aggressive and you know, sort of all of these, all of these accusatory things. You got sent to and LinkedIn jail. I got sent to LinkedIn jail by this person I didn't even know. And I felt like I got punched in the stomach because some of my micro traumas are around not being understood, um, you know, having the best of intent, but people interpreting me the wrong way. Um, you know, thinking that I'm having a conversation, exactly this, thinking I'm having a conversation and somebody, you know, is offended. And I thought I had worked so hard to get over this. So it was, it was felt literally like a stomach punch. And I had my, all the fight or flight things happening. My heart rate went up, my breathing slowed down, you know, like shortness of breath, the whole thing. What'd you do? And what'd you do? What'd you do? Tell you fought. Well, the first thing, the first thing I did not fight, sir. Cause I'm gonna I did you, not I'm gonna go get you to fight. Mm, I'll fight you. Um, no. So the first thing I did was try to tell myself another story because as I'm, as I'm having this emotional reaction, I'm also thinking to myself, this is a person you don't even know on LinkedIn about one comment, like this is, there's something else going on here. And you know, you're having more of a reaction to this because of your traumas, because of all of those things. So like, even if that is what happened, like we need to calm this down. And here's the thing, in your case, you got through it and were able to fight it and, and power through it. I was not at the time. So, and I knew I couldn't do it by myself. So I called the only person I knew who'd be able to help me when I was in that state, which is my sister. And hearing her tell a different story and hearing her empathize with me and being understanding and saying, no, this isn't an overreaction for you. Given everything that's in your past and what you dealt with, this is a pretty normal reaction for you. And all of that helped me calm down. So, you know, another, another piece of this resiliency puzzle is you don't have to do it by yourself. We've talked about a lot of solitary reflection and that kind of thing, but asking for help, you know, is really something to consider. Think ahead of time about who can help you. You know, who are the people that you trust and who love you, who will help you, you know, sort of fight in Adam's terms or flow through the adversity you're feeling. And part of that also is, is cultivating that ability to recognize when the negative emotions are out of proportion. I've done enough mindfulness work to, that I could be feeling all this negativity and at the same time go, this is out of proportion. This is, <laughs> this is, uh, this is not how, you know, I want to respond to this small of a thing. 
So part of what you can do there is, is in preparation is amplify the positive emotions. And that's eventually what my sister helped me do was look at the positives around the situation, which was, you know, my buddy was really supportive of me and it was great to sort of strengthen that relationship and those kinds of things. So, so there's, there's my personal disclosure for for this episode. I, I like it. And I like the amplify the positive emotions. And I would, I would just add to that, you know, lean on your strengths and you were, you are correct when you said, you know, reach out. And I feel like sometimes that, and maybe this is, I don't want to gen- overgeneralize and say all men, um, but there's That's this, good. I think, mis- myth, this hurtful myth that, you know, the lone wolf, the solitary leader, and it should not be. And if you're going to grow and mature as a leader, you need that small circle of, of confidants who can help you with this as well as, you know, thinking through other things. And when you lean on your strengths, you know, part of, part of being able to do that is number one, knowing them ahead of time. And then number two, having developed them so you can call on them. Like you said, like what you did is get that outside perspective and say, okay, this didn't happen. You know, what am I good at? What, you know, and working through. So and sometimes your strengths might be your relationships to other people. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So let's give listeners some menus of strategies, things that they can incorporate when they're saying, Hey, I want to do this. I want to be resilient, but where do I start? Yeah. I mean, we promised we would do that right at the beginning. We said, you can cultivate your resilience. There are ways to do it. So now we're going to tell you how. So there's a few things you can do sort of throughout the day. Um, One of them is, and you hear this everywhere, but it's true. Take breaks. Give your brain a moment. Mm. Um, you know, this might be, I, they recommend intervals of 90 to 120 minutes. I think that's great. And also doesn't work for everybody. Um, so like when you, when you take a break, Adam, how long do you usually work and then break? Uh, I usually do about 50 minutes of work and 10 minutes of break. That's, I find that that's for me, the max effective that I can do. And mm-hmm. if I go longer than 10 minutes with a break like that for me is very restorative, but if I go longer, I can't refocus after that. And see, my little ADHD self has such a hard time getting started on a task that once I'm started, I really need to keep rolling. So I'll go at least two hours, you know, if I'm if I'm really hyper focusing on a thing Um, and then my breaks need to be relatively short so that I don't get engrossed in something more interesting than the tasks I actually have to accomplish. Mm. So whatever that is for you, depending on what your brain needs and, and how you function best, but take some breaks and take them at, you know, intervals. So you make sure you don't get to four o'clock and go, I've been sitting in my chair all day. Oh yeah. Right. Um, and part of those breaks can be things like, you know, a 10 minute guided meditation, you know, a mindfulness meditation. Ooh, I or, like that. Yeah. I mean, you can just sit and, and nobody can even know that you're doing it. And, and, you know, you're just going through your mind and being calm. Um, chair yoga, getting your body involved and getting stretched out. And so you're not, you're not carrying the tension in your body that can then transfer into your brain. I mean, not that your brain gets tension. It's not a muscle, but that that somatic manifestation goes both ways. Oh, right? I don't know. I, I have two teenagers. I can, I would argue the fact that my brain does, does get strained like a hamstring. <laughs> um, so I, I know some of the uh, Spartans among us are heard yoga and immediately their mind went to uh, 
you know, the big Spartan dude in yoga pants, like some Lululemon pants or something like that. And uh, I want to say that I felt like that too at first. And when I saw, you know, the, the old heads among us who remember the, the glory days of wrestling, uh, DDP, oh Diamond Dallas Page, he actually has a really awesome uh, yoga program for particularly for men, right? Which doesn't do all kind of the downward facing dog and, you know, all these things, but it actually is chair yoga and yoga you can do at your workstation for dudes who have been inflexible for most of their life. So don't just dismiss yoga, you know, or chair yoga and be like, Oh, just poo poo it. If, if you doubt, just look up diamond Dallas page and his yoga plan. So just had to throw that in there. There's also always YouTube. I'm just saying. Yep. For those of you who are not quite so picky about your yoga instructor. Yoga with Adrian. <laughs> so when we talk about amplifying positive emotions, um, there's also sort of a reflection around things. So um, I ask questions to myself and put them in my journal of things like self-compassion. What are three things I did well today? You know, how am I proud of myself today? Um, practice gratitude. What are three things I'm grateful for today? practice happiness. What are three things that brought me joy today? And maybe it's not three, maybe it's one, maybe it's five, maybe it's only one of those questions, but getting your brain in that habit of thinking in that direction is going to help you come back to that when you've had an adverse event. So do you do anything like that, Adam? I do. Uh, so I start the day with it though. So I like to kind of set the tone for the day with the, the gratitude, uh, you know, and do the, the three things that I'm grateful for, which helps ground me, keeps me kind of centered. Hmm. And it's, it's that act of trying to find the best, you know, or the positive in, in situations. And I know I struggled with this, you know, years ago when I was, you know, laid off from a job and, you know, felt less than and had all these things and read a book about, you know, a thousand small things and writing out a list of, of, things that you're grateful for really does help change your mindset. And it can be something as small as I woke up today, this cup of coffee, you know, it's winter time, it's summertime, it's whatever. It doesn't have to be some big, great, you know, magnanimous thing. It's just, what are you grateful for in the moment? You know, that time to, and it, I think this for me, at least ties to mindfulness you know, being aware of what's around you and what you're grateful for. So that to me has been the stepping off point, which gets me into visualization, which gets me into the prep to do the stuff for the rest of the day. But you, I think I heard you say you'd like to do it at the end of the day. Well, wait a second. Tell me about this visualization you're talking about. So to visualize what's going to happen during the day. After I give gratitude, I think about, uh, I think Garrison Keillor wrote the book, the one thing. So I go from gratitude to visualizing what's the one thing such that by doing it, everything else is either, uh, unnecessary or obsolete. I forget what the other part of that was. And I say, okay, that's what I have to get done. So I picture myself getting that done and the positive emotions that come with that. So that if, you know, hair catches on fire, the, you know, whatever happens and the email goes down and, you know, all these things, 
I can not be as overwhelmed in that moment and think back to, okay, I still have to get just this done, you know, and if I get that done, that's the most important thing. And if it starts pressing, you know, if the outside circumstances start pressing on me, that's when I'm able to be a little more mindful and get in the moment and be a little resilient instead of being completely flustered with what's not happening, what's not going my way, you know? So that sounds like it aligns with that, that research has been around for a while on athletes that um, divers or gymnasts or something like that. They researched and found that visualize when they did brain mapping on them, visualizing doing their routine or doing their dive use the same pathways as when they actually did the activity. So it was like practicing just by going through it in, in their minds. So that's what I'm hearing is you're practicing what could be and practicing that, that preferred response, like we said, to that yeah. adverse situation. Yeah. And also I know if I'm going to have a hard conversation that day, I think through how I want it to go and mm-hmm. try and think, you know, shape it in a positive way, not necessarily let my imagination run away with itself and think about all the bad things that are going to happen. Instead, focus on here's what I want to come out of that very difficult conversation or that unpleasantness or the meeting that I don't want to be in and think through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't fight through it? You think through it? Depends. Depends. Mm, don't, yeah. Well, for people who are like Adam, who like to start their morning with a reflection, you also might check out um, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Again, this is not a new item, um, but she recommends doing morning pages, which is kind of like a reflection in the morning, doing about 750 words or three pages to start your morning. I prefer... Um, if I start doing that, I'm going to go off on a daydreaming tangent and I won't get going. So I prefer to do mine at night and reflect on the day that I have had and say, what am I grateful for today? And review my day that way, um, which is another and, and which is another way to take a look at what happened. What could I have done differently? What could I you know, and envision? This would have been a better way to handle this or that would have been a better way to handle that. So it's sort of doing the same kind of thing. but just at the flip side of the day. Um, Adam's also an an early riser and I am a night owl. So that makes sense too. do it when it works for you. Um, There's nothing for me. There's nothing better than getting up at the uninterrupted hour when everything's still quiet. And, you know, I have time to sit there and and be with my thoughts. And I'll tell even, even as silly as it sounds and Mel Robbins, you know, puts this in her book, you know, go through the affirmations and the visualization look in the mirror and give yourself a high five, right? That there's power in that. There really is power in that. Um, now, you know, for, for those that are married among us, make sure you, uh, wipe the mirror down. So you don't leave the hand prints and <laughs> fingerprints on it. Uh, just that's free info, but yeah. And you know, I having that as the start for me mm-hmm. has that, good emotion. And I feel like today's going to be a good day instead of dreading getting out of bed and be like, Oh, what's going to happen today? And it's for me, it's a fight to have to get into that positive mental space, right? doesn't happen naturally. doesn't happen every day, but I, you know, have to make it happen. Some days it's a lot easier than others, granted, but on those days that it 
you know, it's not, those are the most important times to do it. And if we have developed the neural pathways to at least get into that habit, that helps a whole lot more. Let me just throw in there too. Um, A lot of us feel silly doing that kind of thing. Saying affirmations aloud, high-fiving ourselves in the mirror, like it feels silly. That's why I do it first thing in the morning when nobody's up. You don't have to believe them, first of all. Just say them and your brain is going to build those pathways. And the other thing is, even if you feel silly, what have you got to lose? Like the only thing this can do is improve you. It's not going to hurt anything. So feel silly for a few minutes. Maybe that'll even help, you know, giggling at yourself, high-fiving yourself in the mirror. Laughter is a great way to cultivate resilience. So just throwing that in there, especially for those Diamond Dallas Page fans. Hey. So So what else? Yeah, I was going to say that the knowing your strengths too, I think is, is an important, uh, you know, strategy that you can use knowing where you can bend and not break. Right. So, but implied is in using your strengths is knowing what they are. So it, for me, I would pause when I saw some kind of event or action playing towards something that's not one of my strengths, right? I don't want to say a weakness, but just something that I'm just not great at or not. And I'll either redirect it to a place where I can be more aware and operate in my kind of peak zone. Or if I know that we're going to be stuck in the mud there, I tell myself, I'm not going to say yes or no to anything. I'm not going to make any major decisions because I'm just not in the right headspace. And I'm going to say again, this is, you know, still, this is sort of the end of our menu strategy menu for how to cultivate resilience. Fight. But that was not what I was going to say, actually, surprisingly. (laughs) Although I would like to count how many times it's been said in this podcast when we're done. Um, But I'm back to ask for and offer help. So even before you see someone, you know, flailing, just check in on, on your coworkers, check in on your employees. Hey, how's it going? How's your brain doing today? How are you feeling? Um, and, and also ask for it. Um, you know, relationships and community have been shown to be some of the best happiness strengths, even for we introverts who think we want to be hermits all day. Mm. Um, having, having a few really good relationships that you foster and cultivate and stick with, um, that's only going to benefit you with resilience as well. That's great. That's a great point. All right. So what do we want them to come away with today? What's the, what are the the lessons? I think one, right. There's so much stress. It's okay to feel overwhelmed because we know we haven't had a chance to breathe, stop and breathe and and be mindful. Right. And we know that we can grow our resilience, right? We have to, if we're going to manage all of this nonsense, it's going to continue for an indefinite amount of time. What do you, what do you think? What, what do you, what do you want them to take away from this? Well, I hate to sound like a broken record right at the end, but, but remember you're not alone, especially right now, the entire planet is going through this. The entire planet needs to cultivate resilience. We are in ambiguity. We are in volatile, uncertain, changing ambiguity. Darn VUCA is actually like, it's a, it's a, Top phrase for a reason right now. Yeah. We need resilience. So remember, you're not the only one doing this and you don't have to do it alone. 
So talk to your trusted people. Um, your vulnerability is actually a strength. When I called my sister back in that example and was vulnerable, she actually told me thank you at the end of it. She said, thank you for calling and asking for help. Wow. Okay. I like it. So All right. Well, that's it for today. It's been great, Adam. Go fight things. <laughs> and go be flexible. I'm going to go do some yoga right now. All right. <laughs> Have a good day, everybody.